Welcome to InsureTech Bytes, the podcast for the future of insurance. We're bringing you the latest developments in insurance with exclusive interviews with the industry's trailblazers. No hype, no pie in the sky. We want to know what's on your mind. Tweet us at fintech underscore futures or hashtag InsureTechRising. Hi, I'm Oshi Merens. I'm the editor of InsureTech Rising. We're live on site at InsureTech Rising Europe at the Business Design Centre in London, where we're enjoying three days of panels from insurance's digital leaders and uh, InsureTech demos from some of the leading InsureTechs from Europe and beyond. Um, here is a live recording of our opening panel of digital leaders featuring Christopher Fries, who is the Senior Partner and Managing Director at BCG. And he is joined by Helen Stamway, who's a digital leader at Excel Catlin, Martin Ectors, the Chief Digital Officer at Legal in General, and Marco Di Stefano. Managing Director, Personal Lines Direct at Aviva. Here's what they had to talk about. Good morning, everyone. Um, uh, welcome to our opening panel uh, for today. Um, when I looked at our topic, Shaping the Future of Insurance, uh, I thought this is the crystal ball session in the morning. <laughs> and I have three experts here uh, to actually gaze into the crystal ball together with me. Um, I'll start uh, with Helen. Uh, she's um, from uh, XL Catlin, and uh, she's a digital leader there. Welcome. Morning. Then I'll continue with Marco uh, from Aviva. You're an MD and personal lines at Aviva. I am. My sins. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And then uh, uh, Martin, uh, uh, furthest to the right, uh, at least from, from my perspective, CDO uh, at Legal in General. So welcome to the three of you. Uh, let, me, let me start with a very simple question. Um, what do you think uh, insurance will look like uh, in five years from now? Uh, Helen, do you want to start? Um, I'm going to take a little bit of a poke at the audience here. I hope to see a very different dynamic in the audience. Um, you all look very, very similar from where I'm sitting. So I'd love to see some different talent in the industry to help drive different, different viewpoints. Um, you know, we really need to represent our customers. Um, you know, we're a global organization. We have to globally represent our clients. Um, so I very much hope it's not quite like it is today. I mean, if we look back five years, we couldn't have imagined what it's like today. Um, Ralph this morning said, speed. You know, we can talk, but actually we have to do. It's very, very important that you actually start experimenting with some of the tools that are out there to figure out what they can do for us, what they can't do for us, um, and how they can be applied. So, you know, it's a really, really exciting journey. Um, let's play with some of the tools that are out there and, and experiment and move forward. Okay, thanks, Helen. So we'll talk about the tools and a couple of things people are doing right now uh, to actually, uh, actually uh, <coughs> start in the digital world. Martin, what do you think? Can I do a little experiment? If Elon Musk would offer you a Tesla as a service that would cost like a fifth of buying any car now and comes whenever you need it, drives you wherever you want, and then like you don't have to park, who would subscribe to that service? Okay. That actually means car insurance is dead in the next five years. Because that's exactly what Alan said he's going to do. He already said like his 10-year plan was to change uh, the world with like um, 
electric cars. His new plan is about extending that to like trucks, extending that to, to cheap uh, shared um, cars. So basically, what will the next five years bring? A lot of the current products will no longer exist. So unless we change dramatically, and I beg to differ with what Rolf was saying, you can measure everything perfectly in a business case. You can optimize five times your car insurance. But if Elon Musk comes along, you just did all that work for nothing. So we need to really change our mindset around what will the digital industry in insurance look like in the next five years. Thanks, Martin. Uh, <clears throat> that's quite provocative. Now, normally, consultants are, are said to over-exaggerate the trends uh, we see and the speed that's happening. So I'm glad you're bringing it up. So let me ask uh, Marco, because you're actually responsible for personal yeah, lines. I run a business. So, yeah. so, um, so is, is well, luckily, luckily Aviva is a, a 300-year-old business, um, which makes us a bit of a dinosaur, you might think. But um, guess what? There were no cars when we first started insurance. So I think, I think the important thing that comes across for me is that you know, fundamentally, the experience for customers today is not, not the way it needs to be. There's a number of players that are obviously leading the way, the Amazons, the Googles of this world that are really thinking about how, how the future is going to pan out, but they're thinking about it from a customer perspective. So I mean, my, my view is that we're going to see a lot of disruption in terms of um, customer relationships um, and the customer experience, you know, whether that's through AI, robotics, uh, machine learning, nonlinear technologies, you know, data is going to be absolutely at the center of that. Um, you know, creating value and flexibility, I think through things like distributed ledger, blockchain, those things are going to play a, a, a huge part. I mean, ultimately for us, you know, it's that change between peril and prevention. You know, we need to give value back to customers. We need to think about what they want. We need to take the bad things away, not just, um, you know, kind of fix them when, when, when it happens. And then I guess finally for me, you know, things like genetics. I mean, I know that's a controversial, you know, area, but, you know, there, there's, there's potentially lots of good in some of that. Um, and bi biometrics, um, you know, can make a huge, huge, huge difference. So I think that, you know, the world's going to change, but it... It's, technology is the enabler, right? You know, ultimately, it needs to be about the customer, and I think that's, that's, that's where my head is. Okay, thank you. So uh, let me continue uh, uh, with, with one question. Um, now, obviously, I think you know, everyone uh, is clear about the customer needs to be at the center of our attention. Now, that seems to be a concept that has been neglected by insurance companies for quite, a, uh, for quite some time mainly driven by a combination of actuaries and sales agents. So how do you see that transformation happening? Because it's actually quite a shift from where they are today. Um, and, and do you have, you know, looking at the industry, do you see examples where we actually can already observe that shift uh, with the incumbents? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I mean, not all the big insurers are going to, be here in the way they are tomorrow, particularly from a kind of retail perspective. And you know, we've seen, you know, the the, the broker market um, getting disrupted. Um, you know, uh, you know, greater uh, strength in direct. I, I, you know, I think some organisations. I mean, I mean, I run a, a couple of startups within Aviva as well. Quote me happy being one of them. You know, we're using Facebook Messenger technology to, you know, reach out to customers. We're using kind of AI and robotics to help. 
encourage conversations with them. We're looking at how we use social media, perhaps not from a pricing perspective, just, just, just to be clear, that's a rather controversial area, but you know, how, how, do, how do communities of, 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 of you know, people um, feed together? So I think, I think there are examples out there. Now, there's no one right way to do it. You know, and it's got to be a mix of, um, you know, disrupting the core business, partnering with startups, you know, creating startups like Quote Me Happy, and I think, you know, ultimately part partnering with larger tech firms. And you know, Viva has recently partnered with Tencent, and you know, for example, I mean, they're investing um, a significant amount of capital in things like AI, so you know, several billions. So, you know, there's there's lots of ways to do this. I think the examples are out there. Not everyone's going to win. Um, I, I, I'm pretty confident of either might, <laughs> but we'll see. So, uh, so let me ask uh, Helen about this. Uh, especially, um, I think there's a lot happening. We see a lot happening right now. I think if most of the folks you ask, uh, they wouldn't say they're creating value with it yet or making money off of it. So, you know, maybe part of the problem is that actually the economics are changing quite significantly and the question is whether you can still make money with it. But do you see examples in the incumbent world uh, or, or areas where you feel uh, the incumbents are actually uh, embracing the, the change? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's a super exciting time and I can give you one really good example of that. So, putting the customer at the center, putting it in a commercial setting, and actually working with one single customer that's quite a, you know, a large customer. So we announced um, three or four weeks ago a Maersk blockchain. So we worked with um, you know, the client, we worked with the broker collaboratively, and we worked with one of our industry peers to effect um, something that was going to add value to Maersk, and it was going to add value to Willis, and it was going to add value to the insurance sector. And that was really key. So. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about sort of working in an agile manner, so we've done that. We're adding value at every step of the way. So no longer do we have value right at the end. We add value working with the, with the client, co-creating, and we're adding value the whole way. So yes, you can do it, but you've got to try. Um, you need these new technologies, blockchain, IoT together, um, and it is disrupting the whole value chain, but it is adding value. Thank you. Uh, Martin, what do you think? Yeah, so as somebody that joined the financial services and insurance industry only six months ago and, and used to work with the Amazons and, and, and the Googles of this world, uh, I, I must say that a lot more can be done. Uh, I, I see that everybody is doing their pet projects, uh, but um, unless we substantially change how we work with all the insure techs and, and let them help us, I. I'm afraid that like, we leave the door open for a digital uh, native to come into this uh, um, whole market. Um, hey, Alexa, my bike got stolen. Um, it's this type of customer focus that like, um, only at this moment the tech giants have. And we need to copy it. We need to improve upon it, but we can't do it alone. We need to make it super easy for all those intertext to come and help us. Because if I would compare an incumbent, it's like an oil tanker. We're moving oil perhaps from London to uh, Singapore, but every time that we pass by Somalia, small pirate intertexts are trying to steal it away. If we want to continue doing that, we will lose 
a lot of our oil. If we want to change the rules, it's better that like we invite the insurtechs to come and help us to distribute from here to London, from here to Singapore, the oil in small harbors, and help us to uh, stop uh, any attacks uh, coming uh, from other companies. Because I think unless we very aggressively partner, we're going to be disrupted sooner than later. Okay, <clears throat> that's very interesting. So let's talk about the insurtechs and, and um, how they can help uh, the incumbents uh, actually uh, s survive uh, uh, and, and foster uh, on, on that journey. So um, do you see examples, Helen, in the market where this actually works, bringing insurtechs and incumbents together? It seems you know, it's, it's addressing the how that uh, Ralph talked about. Right, how do you bring in this entrepreneurial spirit into a uh, very traditional kind of organization, hating to take risk? So how do you do that? And, and, and do, you, do you find it's possible? And, and have you seen good examples? Yeah, I mean, we've done it in a couple of ways, actually, at Excel Catlin. So we've worked with a couple of accelerators, so where we provided mentorship. Um, and I did just a blast on our internal um, website. People put their hand up to mentor. They're excited to work with InsureTech. And we had 40 plus mentors, too many for the startup. So we you know, paired people up. We learned as much from the startups as, as we were able to give in, in expertise. It was a great journey. Um, but we will also actually partner with um, startups in numerous ways we can underwrite them. Um, we will actually do proof of concepts with them. And we can actually do kind of really formal partnerships, such as um, Cytora, which we announced recently. Um, and that's a great example because you know, they have got expertise in artificial intelligence, in the lines of business that we underwrite. And so they're able to give us much more insight based on the information knowledge we have. So together, you're actually able to, to really advance the line of business in the commercial space to um, you know, work together, I say. So you know, the partnership models are really, really important. Thank you. Marco, what do you think? Um, well, I mean, at Aviva, it's, you know, we, we don't think that there's one way to, to win here. Um, you know, so, you know, there's a, I, I think Ralph hit, you know, hit the nail on the head for me. You know, the, the fundamental issue with the incumbents is, is kind of culture and, you know, driving that, that culture of continuous improvement. You know, and that's, that's much harder than injecting a technology into it. So I think disrupting the core business is fundamental, and, you, and, you, and you've got to be really focused on that. But I think, you know, partnering with start startups that is just that's 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 daily life. It's not there's nothing unique about that. That's that's the business today, and you know, we're actually in the business of risk. Actually, we like taking risks. I think it's um, that's how we make our money. Um, but you know, we've we've started Founders Factory. Um, we, we put um, you know annually ten. Ten major investments into startups. Um, uh, CS is one of them, um, which is in the the the, the um, uh, kind of biometric end. It's an, an AI end, which is really dealing with people's phobias, not core to our business, you might think. But again, we're trying to think about the customer. Shepherd, um, thinking about prevention in, in SMEs. Um, so you know, partnering with 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 those startups is fundamental. And then I think. Creating startups, you know, we launched a business um, five years ago with the kind of capital you guys would laugh at. Quote me happy. Um, it's a big business today, you know, and it's generating significant profits for us. So, 
And that's also about seeding the cultural change within your organization. You know, Aviva's a big planet. Um, and being able to start little businesses by the side and let them grow and flourish, that, that's, not, that's not easy. That's, that's, that's tough. And you know, then finally, as I said before, you know, those big partnerships with, you know, with the big you know, IT companies, tech companies is, is, is equally important. So I don't think there's any easy way to win. You know, um, but I also don't think that today's business is going to be tomorrow's. So if we hang on to it, um, then you know we're likely to fail. So we have to, we have to think differently, and we have to think, you know, in a more agile way. Um, let's stay on that thought, and maybe just how much time do we have? It's just it says on there, 40 minutes. 40, 40. Oh, it's there. Ah, oh, there it is. I haven't seen it. Okay, good. Um, so uh, let's stay on that thought. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the biggest challenges uh, for insurance companies is the legacy business. Uh, it's it's the biggest opportunity. You can you can you're making a lot of money off of it. Uh, on the other hand, uh, that makes it so difficult to actually stop doing it right and and really disrupting your business. Um, so how do you deal with that? Uh, is there any any good way of dealing with it? Do you need to, well, I don't know, put capsules around <laughs> the the legacy and say this is going to be a runoff, and now we're actually attacking the new world? Because I I think it's extremely difficult because everything you do is just a very thin slice on top of a huge business. I think it's a great challenge. It comes back to that kind of point around culture. I mean, we we someone mentioned the the. Garage, yeah. So Aviva's answer, to some extent, in changing that culture is a digital garage, and that's really about injecting new talent into the business, putting a lot of investment into it, right, um, and recognizing that you're going to fail at more things than you're going to succeed at. I mean, you know, there, you know, some fundamental, basic lessons in that. Now, you're right. Aviva is not a small company; it, it is an oil tanker, um, but it's, you know, it's. Putting that investment in and it's really following through day in, day out. You know, we are seeing lots of new innovation. We're thinking very differently about our, uh, our, our customers. You know, we, we were the first insurer to build um, uh, into Alexa. We were the first insurer to you know, do, uh, billing with Amazon. You know, we, we recognize that we can't be the same insurer. Now, clearly we have a big SME and corporate business as well. Those businesses will change at different pace, but you know, prevention is still core to that, and working with our partners um, to be successful. So, I'd, I'd, like, it, I'd, there's no magic bullet. You know, um, I think large organisations have the capital and the scale though to win. It's how they repurpose that and rethink about it. And for me, if we put that, if we if we put ourselves, um, you know, in the in the in the customer's chair. We've got a bloody good. Sorry, we've got a good chance. We've got a good chance of winning. Um, if we just think it's about technology for the sake of it, we're, 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 we'll make some really nice shiny things, but that might not be important for our customers. So that, that's my perspective. How do you deal with this uh, at Legal in general? Yeah. So as a technologist that used to work with like Google technology, when I looked at the legacy systems, obviously I wasn't impressed. Um, Systems that haven't changed till since the 90s uh, are going to be hard to adapt to the, today's world. Uh, the only shortcut you can take is abstract them, put in 
it's called an API around them, and then say like, call that if you need uh, some information that is still in legacy land, but then start uh, building fast uh, new things around uh, the new future. Because the way insurance is working is changing. It, it's no longer this like annual thing. It, it's a lot more on demand and so on. So a lot of the legacy systems will never be uh, sufficient for that. So, so there's a next generation of, of technology that needs to come, that needs to allow the teams to every day launch something new. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that like three years from now, each insurance company here should be able to launch a new product every day or multiple. If that's not possible, we're basically fighting against companies that do already that. So uh, unless from a technology perspective we get there, it's not going to look pretty. Helen, uh, <laughs> now you're in the commercial business. Yeah. How does Excel uh, deal with this? Well, I mean, I'd sort of react to your point. Yes, you need both, but legacy systems can and do contain a huge wealth of data. You know, that's not to be forgotten. So actually complementing the old and the new together I think is actually what gives us strength. You know, we've got years and years worth of data. They give us trends. They give us ins insights. You partner and, and keep um, connect that with new data sources. You get a completely different set of insights, but you have to do them together. You, you know, you're not going to throw it away simply because a new shiny thing has come along. You know, you, you need to to add them together to, to you know it's a bigger pie, right? If you put the two pieces together. So uh, let's talk about data. Um, and and someone I think you mentioned IoT. Um, the if you so basically what the business is doing today is using data that's available and sometimes uh, proprietary to actually assess risk and then uh, obviously underwrite them. Now, the future, we're producing a lot of data, a lot of new data now. The future is probably going to be more around predictive uh, uh, data. And, um, and IoT, especially I would assume in the commercial business, is quite an interesting concept with sensors, uh, telling you whether a machine is actually still still working nicely or whether it's going to malfunction in two days from now, which is changing your business, isn't it? Because you're going to be much more of a risk manager than a risk taker or I, I think it insurer. gives choice, actually. Yeah. So talking about the Somali pilots, uh, pirates that you had there, you know, you've got a vessel in the middle of the sea. It's got an IoT sensor. You can tell straight away if it's going to go into a zone where there are pirates or actually spend more money on fuel to go around that. So it actually gives you choice. And in that choice, yes, you can then be preventing. But actually, we want to be in the business of preventing claims in the first instance, because nobody wants to be disrupted through having a loss and not being able to run their business. So IoT is going to be huge in terms of, you know, you talk about five years' time. It's going to give choice, and it's going to give you know, our ability to prevent risks. And that's really where we should be focused as an industry. So how is that going to change the dynamics of the industry? Because one of the questions, I guess, is who's going to own that data, right? And in that Tesla example, I assume you're assuming that Elon Musk is owning the data, or it's consumer data, and, and but it's not the insurance company, most likely. How is that changing commercial? Or do you see that change or happening in commercial as well? Um, I mean, the clients own the data, and they give us access to the data for the period of time that we underwrite them, and that could be um, to your point earlier, you know, for a short period of time, it could be for you know a period of construction, as an example. Um, but 
the ownership of the data is very key with obviously some of the regulation coming through, but we do need data to develop things like algorithms and so on, and that will be enriched by the data, but then the data has to go back. You know, it can't be um, just left. It has to be owned by the people that are the data owners. <laughs> yeah. So let's continue the crystal ball here. Who's going to own the data? Are we ultimately, as a consumer in, in personal lines, are we going to own the data and, and sort of uh, make it available to insurance companies in the future when we ask for a quote? Or? You have to ask the regulator that. Um, for those of you in the business, GDPR. You do lobbying all the time. I mean, so, 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 not so I think, you know, like data is, um, you know, obviously a, a commodity. Like fundamentally, it's a commodity. And I think the people that will. You know, where, where data ownership will sit, I mean, I guess ultimately, you know, it sits with the consumer, but they'll allow that data to flow freely to those organizations that provide them with value. Um, you know, data is a fundament, fundamental part of our business. I mean, you, you mentioned IoT, you know, in the retail market. You know, we're partnering with HomeServe. We're, we, we're using LeakBot technology there. Um, you know, of course customers want to share that data with us because we can stop them from having an escape of water. That's really expensive for us. And it's really damaging for them. I mean, I personally had one, you know. My family are out there home for 18 months. It's, it's, it's not fun. So I think data, that, you know, the thing about data is how we use it. Um, you know, are we, what are the brands, what are the organizations that are, are seen to derive value out of that? Um, who are the, who are the, who are the trusted, who are the trusted um, brands for for individuals and organisations that those things will play out over time, but it's a, it's it's a war zone, um, and uh, we've got to fight um, to drive that value for customers. Um, if we drive the value for customers, guess what? They'll share their data with us. Um, I, that's that's my view. Yes. So from from a data perspective, I think we're going to see this shift from like insurance to services. So as you said, like if, if I can predict something is going to go wrong, I can sell a service to customers and I can go and say like, look, insurance is still part of this. If your fridge is about to break, we'll send somebody to your house to fix it. If it can't be fixed, then the insurance picks up the bill. And this type of thing, um, we see a lot uh, happening in IoT, but the problem with IoT is a business case problem. At this moment, IoT seems to be um, like we're all selling Apple products. Every sensor costs like 25 pounds, where in China you buy them for 50p. So unless we get to solve the, the cost problem, insurance companies will have a hard time rolling out leak bots and so on, which are about 140 uh, pounds. Uh, multiply that by 25 million houses you need to have a very solid business case. So what we're seeing the tech giants do is, is take a, a different approach with Amazon Echo is be probably the best example there. Uh, but uh, they already own a lot of the data. And, and personally, I can only imagine what more they will own. Because like an Amazon Echo can have a smoke detector in there tomorrow, uh, already knows my voice, uh, is now knowing who is in my, in my house with Wi-Fi. You can, like, uh, there was uh, an IoT startup here a couple of weeks ago when I, uh, there was an IoT conference. They could basically predict 
that your washing machine was about to break just by clamping onto your electricity next to your uh, meter. They could also predict that you had people in the house that had mental illnesses and so on, um, and dementia. So data is going to really change things. The, the thing though is that like making a business case in IoT is going to be the hard part. And there's going to be very, very strange things happening. Uh, there's a startup in Holland that basically gives you free uh, heating in the home. And the way it works is they basically package some servers and they do distributed calculations at a price inferior to what Amazon charges. And when these servers are calculating, they, uh, they do a lot of heating and they basically pay your electricity bill. So it's this type of like new models uh, whereby like you cannot have uh, in the future a fridge. You could have coolness as a service. Why only have a Tesla uh, as a service? You could have a fridge as a service that could be jointly processing and finding cures for cancer and so on. And then like if one of the fridges breaks down, they jointly have an insurance to buy a new fridge from Amazon or have uh, some service. So, in that new world, it's very hard to predict who's going to own the data. And consumers will give it to whoever gives the best service. So, um, <clears throat> let's do a final round. Um, uh, and I, I acknowledge we're very PNC focused here, and dynamics in health and, and life insurance are a little bit different, but I think PNC is really at the forefront of what's happening here. So, um, Let's stay with the refrigerator example. If I sell refrigerators, wouldn't I want to own the data to actually service my customers? Because ultimately, if I look at my own business, the hardware is probably not going to be important anymore. It's rather the service I give, like it was with printers you know, in the, in the 90s. Uh, um, uh, it, that's probably going to be the most important thing. So I could imagine, well, I don't want to take risk, probably, but a lot of the service, at least to help prevent risk and manage better, I would want to do. So I'd ask the three of you, who's going to win ultimately in this, you know, not in the refrigerator example, but if you look at, so you have the insurance companies, you have the insurtechs coming in to the insurance industry, you have the tech giants you're mentioning uh, that are actually expanding, not that they're necessarily doing insurance, but they want to do the service component, they want to own the data. Um, and, uh, and you have you know, potential partners, but also, but also competitors uh, who are actually selling hardware, whether it's a car or a refrigerator or something like that, a container that's you know, traveling the seas. So who do you think is going to win? Um, I'll start with you, Mark. Mark. Oh, well, I, I mean, you know, I'm going <laughs> to... Look, it's a, big, it's a big world. And, you know, there's plenty of opportunity for all organizations to win if they provide value for the customer. So do I think all insurers will die? No. I think the business models will change. I think they'll have to adapt and they'll have to focus the skills they have in understanding and managing data. Um, in, in ways that are meaningful for customers. Do I think the Googles and the Amazons will play a huge part? Of course. It's about how we allocate resources and how quickly we can adapt uh, to new markets. Um, they've, they've got, a, they, they, they've got a, great, great, a great chance. Will the niche players 
win? Well, of course, because they'll serve a, a whole load of niches, and guess what? The world doesn't stop. It doesn't stand still. It's, con it's changing continually. Customer needs are changing. So the people that win are the people that are able to adapt and readapt and continue to adapt and adapt again. The, they'll be the winners. And, and of course, I, I believe Aviva will be one of the organizations that will do that. Okay. Thank you. Um, culture for me. Um, if, the, if the organizations do not change their culture, do not change their mix of talent to keep pace with the technology that's changing, those will not survive. Okay. The one that fails most often and fastest will win because it will be the one that tries the most new things. And in a digital world, there's no book you can buy on Amazon that says, here's how to be a winner. It's about trying new experiments and seeing what works and what doesn't. And if it works, scale it up. If it doesn't, kill it fast. So who's going to be the one failing most? I'm ready to fail a lot. <laughs> OK, good. Uh, so thanks a lot. Uh, a lot of food for thought. Uh, and actually, encouragement for, for everyone in the room here. Um, uh, and, and a good uh, start, I think, into the conference. And we'll all have the chance to uh, take a look at new technology and understand uh, what's happening in different areas. So thank you very much for being with me this morning. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. And do check back for more of the best bits from InsureTech Rising Europe. Thanks for listening to InsureTech Bytes, the podcast for the future of insurance. We want to know what's on your mind. Tweet us at fintech underscore futures or hashtag InsureTech Rising.